This is episode 78. 78. Yeah, I see it. What is that? Fire truck. Uh, just because the human experience podcast. You want the cars? Episode 78. Interviewed uh, Casey Hopkins. She's the director of culinary operations at Cartel Coffee Lab. Um, not the not the drug cartel. Although that would be crazy too. Um, Alright. Woo woo. I wanted to interview Casey because I had a feeling she was pretty badass. And the more we talked in the episode, it just, it just blew my mind. And how many things she's done. And the level of badassery is off the charts. Excuse me? This is a professional podcaster. So enjoy. Maybe go to Cartel Coffee Lab. Eat their food. She probably had a hand in making it or getting it done or something. Do you want to say anything else? That's okay. Official title, go Ofi- ahead. Oh, official title of my job. Hi, I, my name is, is Casey. Casey. Okay, good. My last go name ahead. is Hopkins. Hopkins. Um, and I'm the director of culinary operations okay. for Cartel Coffee Lab. That's the most official we've started. I've started. I oh, say we, goodness. like there's we. a bunch of us. I always did. I, <laughs> so we have questions. Uh, there's it's 15 a royal of us. we. It's a royal we. <laughs> yeah. And we're all royal. Yeah, um, exactly. Like, what me, and my wife, and my son, we sit in a room and we develop this we questionnaire. Develop. <laughs> and that's why it's a we. Yeah. It's all of exactly. us. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. What the hell? Yeah. What does it mean? What's it all about? Oh, no. So that's oh, what no. it was. Uh, yeah. And so I, I've I've been wanting to interview just different people uh, mm-hmm. who are passionate about what they do. Yeah. And then I had one guest on who uh, said, "How do you know people are passionate?" And I go, oh, fine. "I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I guess we'll find out when I talk to them." Uh, like she's like, "What if they just kind of do it?" And like, yeah. uh, "Well, thanks for throwing a monkey wrench." Uh, yeah. So uh, we'll see if you're passionate um, about um, break <laughs> dancing. No. Uh, I wish. Yeah. So that that's basically. What yeah, this is. that's what we're talking about. Okay, I mean, not breakdancing like you. Oh me. Yeah. I, I mean, we could talk about breakdancing. I, I don't, don't know. know how to breakdance. Okay, that then this I is really over. am like, this, yeah, this is actually secretly this, this podcast this is, is all the, about breakdancing. About Asian breakdancers. <laughs> like, I brought you in also, under a ruse. This is actually. I'm also not Asian. <laughs> I gotta go. Really, I failed on all accounts. This is terrible. Um, okay. Yeah. No. But this. Yeah. I, I. That's my job title. Yes. It's a very strange and odd and windy road that led me to this particular job. And that's just, what we're doing. That's it. I was just. We're saying, gonna was, go through the long windy road. The windy road. I was talking yeah. to my stepsister about it this morning because she is 19. Okay. And she, um, and she's currently in college, and she just switched to an elementary education major. Oh, cool. And she was in therapy. And she was talking to her therapist about it, and her therapist was like, "Well, obviously, because you didn't have a childhood in a traditional sense, like that is why you were drawn to elementary education." Yeah. And then she was saying to me, "Well, I don't really 
I, she said, like, I took I took it at face value. Like, well, I guess you're the expert here and you can, like, connect these lines. Yeah, She's yeah. like, but I don't really think of it as, like, oh, well, it's because I didn't have, like, the ch- an idyllic childhood that, like, I'm extremely interested now in, yeah. in trying to create and cultivate childhood experiences. Whoa. Yeah, because I was like, I didn't cook anything at all. Okay. Until I was in college. All like, right. I didn't grow up cooking. That's and then me it was too. like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cups and noodles, Arby's, yeah. we talked about yeah, Arby's. Yeah, yeah exactly. No cooking at all. Yeah, very, like, was not at all interested. Okay. And, um, and, and like, was a very picky eater when I was, like, a kid. Uh-huh. Um, like, mostly picky, junk food. Picky. Oh, you only like, wanted junk food. Like, I only wanted junk okay. food. And then, like, if we went out to eat, there was, like, a very limited range of things that I was interested in eating. And I had, like, a very specific order. And if you messed it up, like, I oh, was no. completely uninterested in eating it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it's, like... Which is so funny because I think I think also like as parents like when our children have like limited palates we're oh. like oh god life is yeah. over you will never <laughs> eat know, food yeah. and I'm like oh I try everything and I would say I enjoy a wide variety of foods and my diet in adulthood is much more like vegetable centric and like things yeah. that I was really not interested in as a child but it's just really funny yeah like like. I went, my major is in global studies and my minor was in sociology. Oh. And, um, and like I ended up even caring about food Mm -hmm. because I was, I decided I was going to like try being a vegetarian my first semester of college. Yeah. Um, I went, so I went to this, I'm going to take my bag off. No, you're good. I was wondering like. (laughs) Is she about to leave at yeah, any point? Yeah, at any point. More just like, <laughs> just, just like, oh a, God, it's like oh. a, like at, a, at the house, I like put like a pillow on and get like comfy. Yeah, yeah. It's just like That's a fine. weird comfort, whatever. Um, but yeah, so I, um, yeah, like I, I, I went to this, <laughs> you will hear in my talking that you would not suspect that I went to a private Christian university, but I grew up yeah. very Christian. Okay. Um, and in trying to, <laughs> and in becoming a much more liberal thinker in high school, mm-hmm. Uh, and starting to really question the foundations of the more conservative Christianity that I grew up with. Yeah, I was like, I should go to Christian college so I don't disappoint my parents. So I come out with like a better understanding of Christianity. So I ended up at this private Christian university, since become much more conservative, uh, in, in LA County called Azusa Pacific University. And there I went in with the intention, I was a classical vocalist mm. and really wanted to sing opera. Whoa. Yeah. And that was like really, I went to do that and then I was going to get a commercial music degree as well. Yeah. And, uh, and like hopefully do production as kind of like my main job. And then I was, I wanted to like, I really love being in the chorus. I really just like wanted to like be in the yeah. chorus and like operatic performance. And that was really like what I was hoping to do. Um, and then this first semester of college, I got in, but I applied late. And so the only space that they had for me to, to like enroll first semester um, was to do this immersion program in the woods called the High Sierra Semester. Okay. And it was like that, or the High Sierra Program. And it was basically, it was all humanities courses, kind of like a slightly more rigorous, not quite like honors level, but kind of in between the normal curriculum and then honors curriculum and really centered around like a specific period. So I think this was like up to the Renaissance. So we studied like Beowulf and yeah. Grendel and like all of, you know, <laughs> ancient Mesopotamia uh, in, in all of our like core courses. And then we also had to do these like backpacking trips and and all of this stuff. And and uh, there were several vegetarians that were in that program. And so the like, it was it was on a, like a camp, like a, like a summer camp campus. Yeah. And there were 50 of us. Um, and so they were already preparing vegetarian meals 
and I had bonded with the vegetarians there kind of more than other folks. Cool. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'll just try being a vegetarian. Like, let's just give it a shot. And I had made fun of friends of mine that were vegetarians before. Like, ha, you yeah. jokesters. Um, but, like, in becoming a vegetarian, I started, like, learning about why people were vegetarians. Mm-hmm. Um, and realizing that I felt like that was important. Like, oh, climate change. Yeah. What is this business? Yeah. That's crazy. Oh, like... Eating meat has, like, a large, you know, carbon footprint and creates a lot of methane and, like, animal cruelty. And so in, like, learning about why people are vegetarians, I became really convicted that, like, if you're a vegetarian that gives a shit about being a vegetarian, you should probably be a vegan Mm -hmm. if you care about it. You know, and so I, my sophomore year, I came back and I was a vegan. Yeah. But there were, this was, like, in 2005... And while there were, like, some vegan options available, there wasn't a lot of right. vegan options available. And my first semester that year, I lived in, like, a dorm. I was an RA. I was a RA's roommate. Uh-huh. So I, like, didn't... I couldn't really cook. I had, like, a microwave on my floor. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I was I committed to, like, veganism, but, like, had very few ways to cook. And then my oh. junior year, I, like, finally moved into an apartment, and I started buying some vegan cookbooks because I got really tired of, like... You can only eat so much, like store packaged hummus from Trader Joe's and like be excited about eating like you kind of you got to like broaden it out a little bit you know Mm -hmm. and I lived in Azusa California which there isn't like it's not like a culinary capital I didn't have like a ton of like vegan options I was gonna say that's probably from a Dr. Seuss book yeah exactly I don't believe you every time you said it A to Z in the USA a hundred percent it's a totally made up place so yeah so I started cooking all this to say out of just sheer necessity because because I was completely bored with the food options that I had at my disposal mm-hmm. um, and like realized quickly that it was enjoyable mm-hmm. and then it became a bit more pronounced when after I graduated from college that was the global studies and that was great but I don't as you learn with global problems they're all extremely interconnected uh-huh. um, and in looking at my own privilege and my own um, contributions to imperfect global economic systems and in being a white educated woman uh-huh. I didn't think that my place with my global studies degree was to go to sub-saharan Africa and fix it yeah. <laughs> like you guys are having some troubles yeah. yeah I I am your white, I'm the white, I'm the white savior, savior you've been, Here I you've been am. waiting for exactly so I I thought no not my place not my voice yeah um I don't have solutions for sub-saharan Africa Sadly, I don't think Sub-Saharan Africa has solutions for Sub-Saharan Africa because a lot of their troubles have nothing to do with Sub-Saharan Africa. They have to do with everybody else imposing a lot of horrible things on Sub-Saharan Africa. But I don't think that it's my my place. We're just using that as an example to, like, address all of the needs there. This is the number one podcast in Sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah, oh my gosh. just attacked them so hard. I am so sorry. Damn it. I know. What I'm saying is it's a tragic situation. I don't know who should fix it. But I don't yeah. think I can do it. Yeah. And I don't think it, I should do it. So, and that was really where at the age of 21, I really wanted to like, that was when the, the initial like Sudanese crisis was going mm. on. And that was like really what I wanted to be working on. Um, and there was my, my like college wouldn't really let students go and like study abroad or do any like volunteer work there for some of the other portions of my major where I had to travel abroad. It was too high risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in like learning about the world and all of these systems, my takeaway upon graduation was that like, I think the only thing that I really know how to do is to just try to live really well 
within yeah. my own community and try to be as self-sustaining as I possibly can be within my own community because then I'm not inflicting pain on people groups elsewhere. Right. And that led me to, and also you read a lot of books and you write a lot of papers and I was like, I really just want to be working with my hands. Mm -hmm. I really want to be doing something that is like actually benefiting Earth. Like yeah. you read so much about climate change <laughs> and you write so many papers oh, about it. Goodness, yeah. yeah, and you're just like sitting there like like eating your like store peeled bag of like carrots from, uh -huh. you know, from the co-op or whatever. And you're just like, God damn it, like this isn't helping. Yeah, like yeah. I'm ruining everything. Um, and so I was like, well, I really think I want to be farming. And there was this incredible opportunity that like came out of that uh, through through a uh, graduate of, of my college. Mm -hmm. She started this really cool project called the Abundant Table Farm Project. And it was an internship program. Um, and so five women got accepted that initial year. It was the zero year. And we basically transformed 20, well, I think we got allotted 10 acres of certified organic land okay. and worked with a farmer who had been like a generational farmer who whose wife had kind of encouraged him to like try to use an organic model mm -hmm. um, and we created like a CSA program which for those of you who don't know what CSA is it's a that's okay so let's oh my gosh so yeah please explain it, please no no explain. I would love to tell you yeah. it's community supported agriculture it's my favorite thing that happens in ag way okay. beyond like a farmer's market or something because it's so crucially beneficial to the farmer basically most farms that have a CSA program, you buy in for a share for a season. So it's usually like a 12-week buy-in. Some farms do it where you can do like a bi-weekly option. Or you can do a large share or a small share. You can add eggs or honey or yeah. other things that they produce. But you get a share of the farm every week. And what it does is it guarantees the farmers the money that they need to support their practices for the entire season up front. Yeah. And then you get to eat extremely seasonally. Um, just the things that are being grown literally in your terroir, like in the, in the area and places that you're living in. Yeah. Um, and you get to have a better understanding of like what grows here, what thrives here. And you really get exposed to a lot of different foods that like, like when I go to the grocery store now there, I usually end up buying like the same, like seven vegetables, right? Yeah. Like, especially with five-year-olds. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it was really great to go. And, and like, I don't think I'd eaten fennel before I worked on that farm. Or like, what do you do with 15 pounds of like purple globe turnips? You know, what do you do with a daikon the size of your leg? Like, what do you, you know, like, how do you, yeah. what, like, what do we do with all these things? So it was like this really great experience where like I did all this research about like we would send out like a newsletter every week with our farm share and it was a recipe with like a new thing and we were cooking out of trying to be as low waste as possible so like whatever was left over from our farmers markets like we would bring home and it's like cool we're having just 20 pounds of roasted carrots uh, yeah. tonight because that's what we have you know um and and that was like where I really started cooking a lot and started becoming a lot less dependent upon recipes and that was where I started baking really more than anything was that was my like, that was my detox from yeah. like being out in the field working like 10 hours a day or like doing a heavy dive into, I, I like did all the seed ordering for the farm and I did all of like the pest control. So I was doing a lot of research on like certified organic pest control management and going to like, I went to a couple, I think forums on that. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it was like after tons of research or like spending, yeah, like your body really hurts and you just, I just wanted to do something that was very systematized where I could kind of turn my brain off and, and baking kind of became that for me. It wasn't even that I wanted to necessarily eat what I had baked. I just yeah. wanted to bake a thing. Yeah. It always feels like a present. To bake a thing. I wanted to bake a thing. I wanted to bake a thing. I wanted to give a present to that. the people in my house. Like yeah. we all had a long 
hard day. A, a baked yeah. good always feels like a gift. I feel, yeah. Yeah. Like if somebody brings you like a pie. I'm never mad. Yeah. If, when if that ever shows up. Right? Nobody's upset. No, nobody's upset. And that was really, I think, more than anything, what like got me excited about baking was that it just always, it always feels like a welcome it always feels like a welcome gift. Yeah. You know, and like something that you you can tangibly make that isn't usually overly expensive and, and is like a great way to, yeah. Uh, my partner calls it like, it's like a project. That, yeah, but it's like, I love, I love like, it's a full circle thing. You get to see the fruits of your labor almost mm-hmm. immediately. And that's so grat. It's deeply gratifying for yeah. me. And so like, that was, that was really where I like started doing that and learned how to how to bake things that were kind of just beyond like a chocolate chip cookie or, you know, um, and, and I got to live with a bunch of people that were great, you know, readily ate it all up because we were burning like 1100 (laughs) calories a day, you know, doing backbreaking, you know, farm labor. Um, and yeah. And so, and that was that. And then I moved when I, I moved back here after that year. Um, and, and then I was farming, Mm -hmm. um, but I kept baking. Like I was farming, but like I kept baking for fun and I would bake for the farmer that I worked for sometimes and like be like, oh, I was bored last night and I just like made a bunch of cookies. And I, and I also worked, hilariously enough, I was also a full-time barista yeah. at the place that I currently work now. Mm-hmm. Um, I came back. But yeah, so like I would bake and I would like bring it there. I worked with a chef at, at the location that I worked at as well and I'd like bring him in stuff to try and... I was still vegan and he was like really anti-vegan but he'd like try my stuff and be like well, that was pretty good for like meat thing um but yeah and then and then I just kind of like fell into I I moved on from working for cartel as a barista and from that particular farmer who was her own just very special special blend of totally insane oh, <laughs> just, cool. just a really challenging person to work for so I was like cool for my mental health like I need to get a I new mean, job yeah. um and through that I, it was actually one of our purveyor like our purchasers who bought from the farm I started working at this place in Aotuki called Pomegranate Cafe that was vegan all vegan restaurant and um and I got hired to do front of house I was making like smoothies and coffee and taking orders and somebody just quit one day in the kitchen and they were super short-staffed and I was like well I'd like to like to bake and I like I like I cook vegan food for myself a lot and like I think I'm I'm like okay at it for sure like maybe I could you know I don't know trying to meet a need um yeah and within um I was certainly not the greatest prep cook that they had. I'm so into like things being right, uh-huh. and they just want you to like, get it done, yeah. <laughs> make it snappy. Yeah. But I was a very good um, like pastry person for them, and yeah, within I think within three or four months of like shifting that role, I was the assistant pastry chef at that restaurant. And then yeah. I I don't know if I've had a season really since then where I didn't have some sort of baking job. Um, but yeah, that like led into opening up in um, twenty the end of 2014, I opened up Welcome Chicken and Donuts with Welcome Diner. Um, they're uh, this like very cool, very, very hip. Very cool. Uh, very cool, very hip. Um, very uh, like farm to table focused diner restaurant uh, in, in downtown Phoenix here. And they wanted to open up a new concept. I had been baking at um, at the at the coffee shop where I met Finley's dad just like a few days a week a place called Joe Bot which is right over here okay, downtown yeah yeah um, we worked together that was how we met cool um, yeah and so um, I was baking there and Michael who was the founder of Welcome Diner who's no longer a part of that company but um, he came in and had tried I was making baked donuts for them and he had like come in and tried them and he was like I think that these are 
these are pretty good and we're opening up like an all donut concept and I wonder if you would like like to be a part of that and I was like um I mean I'm not like really into donuts specifically but yeah. like I would like the opportunity to like bake more and and try out like what it would be like to run you know my own program and like mm-hmm. manage that and so that was kind of how I fell into that and then I mean, I was with them. That grew into not just like running the donut program there, but into like creating a dessert program for Welcome Diner uh, here in Phoenix. And then they opened Welcome Diner Tucson up um, during that time as well. And then I was like satellite creating um, like pie recipes for that, for their program as well in Welcome Diner Tucson. Um, So yeah, like it kind of became this like different job that was interesting and unique and challenging and multi-city. And and then that uh, like prepared me I would say for the job that I'm currently doing with Cartel, where I sadly am no longer like baking in the kitchen all the time, but I create all the recipes and um, help source and curate any other like food offerings that we have um, at our other spaces. And now we're now we're multi-state. So like I do that for Phoenix and I do it for Tucson. And then we have a location in Austin, Texas, and then uh, and then we have a location in Palm Springs, California. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's. It's a really interesting job. Yeah, but anyway, in brief, that's like sort of my journey. (laughs) Long story short. Yeah, it's very long. There's not going to be any break dancing. No, there's none. Not yet. I was like, wait, when does that kick in? Yeah, I haven't, I still haven't found how to tie it in yet, but like I'm sure we could find a way. We'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Also, that this then, after listening to all that, that eliminates my next 10 questions of how did you get into the cartel? But you said it's the coffee shop. Yeah. Not, okay. not the actual Mexican. Yeah, it's over now. Okay, yeah. well. Uh, you didn't even know where I worked Favorite before. color. What yeah. in the world? Where do we go? Let's go red. Uh, you, perfect. <laughs> Done. Thanks, everybody, for listening. It's no, over. Um, so go uh, rewind more. Yes, uh, let's go. All so the way. you were born. I was. I was. Uh, in September. Uh, it's it's my parents. birthday on Wednesday, actually. Is it really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How are you celebrating? I'm or, very little. Yeah. Okay. I took the day off of work. Perfect. Uh, I think I'm going to have breakfast with my sister, who's currently in town. Cool. Um, we Yeah, we have Finn that night. I think we might have dinner with my family. Yay. Your 30s is a very like weird time where birthdays suddenly become... My 30s less. are like people's 30s. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Oh, no, all people's. I thought you were thinking oh, no. my 30s. No, no, you're not like, there yet. You're just going to be weird. Yeah. No, no, no. I just, I'm, I'm 14. Oh, incredible. Um, yes, wow. Asian skin. Um, <laughs> All that to but, say, September 18th, 1985 was when cool. I was born. Yeah. Okay, and you yeah. had uh, human parents. I did. They were. They are humans. They were? Or they, they, okay. Well, one is no longer with us, so okay. we don't know in which way my mom Ooh, exists these true days. Now. Yeah, yeah, who's to say? Yeah. But yes, my, my dad and my and my mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Were you close with them? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Okay. Um, They just worked a lot. Yeah. I had very... My mom was a manager from a very young age. I had, I think, like a similar role. Um, but she was a general manager at Motorola during okay. Motorola's like major heyday. Yeah. So within their hierarchy, a general manager is right below a VP. Oh. So she was a high-ranking, yeah. like big boss lady for a you know an international company. Um, and so she was just she was very busy. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think and I think she felt like that was being a good mom was to like be like a very Mm-hmm. solid provider so that was like I, I would say that was like a, a key part of her parenting was to yeah. like be a very steady provider um and then and then my dad just also had like a, a pretty full-time job and I was an only child until I was 12 and a half 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and then we is that I, your sister? That yeah, we adopted okay. my sister from okay. China. Oh, from China. Yeah, so I have an Asian. Yes. <laughs> we got to it. Does she break dance? Not yet. Son of a... I know. Turn this off. It's over. It's over again. <laughs> it is. Uh, how is it having an adopted... Because uh, yeah. Serena and I have thought about adopting uh, yeah. down the line. Yeah. And Ooh. there's... I bet there's so much that goes into it mm-hmm. with how um, you figure things out, especially if we um, adopt a different race. Yes. How can you explain how that was growing up? Yeah, I'm not gonna give you like a shiny glowy story. No, that's sadly. this is not okay. a shiny glowy. It's not a shiny glowy <laughs> at all. It's about some. It's, it's, it's for Sub-Saharan Africa. So like, four, it's I mean, really we're challenging. Number one there. Yes. <laughs> um, it was it was very challenging. Yeah. Um, yeah, like at the risk. I mean, I'm not sure how public how public like this will this could go. It's a huge it's a huge it's, podcast. It's, yeah, it's, it's, huge. Not, it's right it's up there Africa, with, uh, with Brazil. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Mesa, Arizona. It's yeah, weird. It's, <laughs> it's in that order. <laughs> um, so my my parents tried to have other kids, mm-hmm. and I was the only child that my mom could carry to term in adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, after after that didn't work, I think they had interest at different times in, in adoption. Um, and then right around, I think when I was about, we were on a trip, we were on a family trip in California, like a summer trip. And my mom saw a new special about the one child loss that were, that yes. were a huge deal in China in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she saw this special um, and she just felt extremely convicted that like we she had always wanted more children and they were unable to have children and so it kind of started a family my parents were very great about like including me in in family decisions and in family conversations which i really valued yeah um but just started like a conversation and i think i was enough out of my like very young child ego at that point to be like yeah sibling could be great you know like i'm nine yeah. or ten i'm i'm doing better <laughs> i don't need all <laughs> of good. the attention I'm good. Now. Yeah. yeah like so um so yeah we started the process when i was starting fourth grade I think was around the time we started and then in the midst of our of our like application it's really challenging yeah like people have to come over social workers have to like come over to your house they have to like inspect everything you have to do like interviews with every member of the family um and in the midst of that Hong Kong went back under Chinese rule from Mm -hmm. from the UK and so it put a huge delay. They like put a moratorium on adoption processes that were happening. So what was normally probably like a year long to, you know, year and a half long process ended up being over two years for us. So it was just like a very painful, long, drawn out process. Mm -hmm. Um, But we finally got matched with my sister um, and we went, I think it was October of... 97 is when we went to China to adopt her um and it was it was really tough we went like to the orphanage that she was at and she was nine months old mm-hmm. she could barely hold her head up um there was one caretaker for every 25 babies in that orphanage yeah, yeah. um and we went with another man who had gone through our adoption agency and he was adopting his second child um and his daughter was a little bit younger, but she was she had been much more attended to, I would mm. say. So she was a lot more interactive, like pretty early on, and was a bit more like she developed physically very quickly. Like she was pulling herself up on things and walking by the time before we left China, whereas like my sister was maybe just like 
starting to like kind of hold her head up and yeah so um yeah that it was just like interesting kind of seeing the spaces all the bottles had like all of the nipples and the bottles had huge holes in them so they could feed them as quickly as possible yeah um she just had like sores on her face um yeah i mean she just she had some interesting behaviors as a child that obviously came out of her like trying to entertain herself and like engage with herself because she was isolated for so long in those like really important early months in her file that they gave us, they told us that she had been left in a basket at the police station with a note, oh. which actually shows that she was like her parents cared and wanted to make sure that she found, right. you know, like home and safety with other people. They she wasn't like abandoned without you know thought, which some babies certainly were. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you know, we're certainly grateful to them that they like wanted her to find a space. But she she has it has been rough. She's been very angry. I would mm-hmm. say almost her entire life since yeah. I can remember. Um, and that took a toll. I think my my parents were searching for some redemption in adopting a child. Um, they both had had, uh, I know my mom certainly did. I'm a little still vague on my parents who are now, you know, very devout Christians mm-hmm. <laughs> who maybe weren't as much in their youth. Um, my mom had had elected to not have some children that she could have had when she was mm. younger uh, at a time when that was not legal to do. Yeah. Um, and I think in in coming back, I think had never felt good about it, but had was not given options to come home with a child um, by a mom who was not, I had a very not nice grandmother. Yeah. Um, and so I think they were really hoping that this was going to be this like idyllic redemption story of like, and then we brought this baby in and she was so grateful and we were so grateful and everything was great. And my sister has just, she, she, it not having parental interaction very early on in life takes a huge toll. Right. On, on just like the development of a human, mm-hmm. right? Like as, as somebody who's like recently had a baby, like yeah. that like skin to skin contact and that like holding and that like responding to cries. Like my sister didn't cry for three days after we adopted her because she had oh, learned yeah. that crying was not something that people responded to. Yeah. So it took people like being overly attentive to her for her to realize that she, that was like a tool that she could, yeah, use, could use to that. get the yeah. things that she needed. So it, it was just, it's been interesting even now. So she's 22. And she's still searching, I would say, in a lot of ways for the parental co- connection that she that she has never like felt completely sated with. Also, in the midst of her just like coming to terms and being really angry, my mom got cancer um, when she was about I think she was about fourteen when my mom was initially diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, I was living here. <clears throat> my mom got diagnosed just before Finley's dad and I got married. Um, and then, uh, my mom died while I was pregnant with Finley. And so my sister was 16. Yeah. So she lost her probably like core foundational parent. I would say my mom was like, they fought a lot. They like had a a hard go, but I think she was extremely attached to my mom. And because they fought so much in her like youth and in her middle school years, um, she felt very guilty about my mom's death. So just her ongoing, like wrestling with 
with her own story and these like feelings of anger and rejection that we've never tried, you know, we've tried to bend over backwards and, you know, we wanted you and we, and we chose you and we waited and, you know, and and have always, you can't, you know, with a family of white people, (laughs) like we could never be like, no, of course you're our natural, you know, yeah, 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 there was no, there was no, we had to, yeah, it was a very, we talked about adoption from a very young age with her because it was just a necessity. You know, like, she didn't look like us, and so... But, like, always tried to really frame it in terms of, like, love and chosenness, but um, it has been very challenging, and very challenging as an an older child to know how much thought and care my parents put into, like, trying, you know, to choosing her in the adoption process and, like, all of the work and counseling and the things that they tried to do with her to, like, help her feel really, like, loved and secure, Um, and then to see her still be really unable to be grateful um was hard like i felt defensive for them like they tried so hard you know and they've done they've done so much like they love you so much and they want the best for you um so it's a it's just a really challenging process i would say because you don't know and you have no control over what happens before a baby comes to you you know and you have no control over the things that happen to that baby in utero yeah. You know, and how all of those steps are just so important and impactful in in who your child becomes that it's it can be the just I would <laughs> we weren't prepared. I don't think we were prepared for how how much different I think like caring for her and loving her was going to be. Yeah. Um, just from, I don't think, I don't, my parents, <laughs> my dad would say that like raising me didn't prepare them <laughs> yeah. very well for raising her just because her needs were so different and her responses to the same patterns and parenting approaches just yielded very different results. Yeah. I would say she's a very, very different person than I am, a deeply compassionate person, a very sensitive person, a very um, outwardly emotional person. And I think because of a lot of this, um, just pretty codependent um, and uh, and something that she's like really trying to do. Additionally, she really blossomed in college. She finished in three years. Whoa. She finished magna cum laude, which like school had kind of been a struggle for her all through yeah. high school and she really worked and like did tutoring sessions and did a bunch of stuff. She went to therapy throughout a lot of her college um, and she, yes, she graduated quickly. She's currently uh, in AmeriCorps um, like working oh, cool. for AmeriCorps, yeah, she yeah. works for Habitat for Humanity in uh, in Colorado. She's home right now on furlough. Like her her first uh, AmeriCorps year has ended, and she is going to do a second year. Um, and I think has found a lot more of the acceptance and independence through that process that she didn't feel like she could really surmount. I think um, while living here and living in the shadow of I think a lot of loss. Like, my mom's death was such a, like, huge blow. Um, and my dad remarried relatively quickly with somebody who is a great lady. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think very, very different than my mom. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we were still, as the children, like, really grieving her loss. Um, and so, I, I, you know, I think just her getting some distance from all of that has, like, really helped her blossom. And uh, such a, like, yeah, like, kind and well-intentioned lady. But just definitely has been, was, like, a really... Um, like roller coastery yeah. <laughs> um, upbringing, I would say with her, and I was gone for so much of it because I mean, she was—I was so old by the time we brought her in that, like, I went to college, and that was a big part of why I wanted to move back. Was that even though we don't 
spend a ton of time together. I've never been extremely close, mostly because of like age cap and and I think just very different um, interpersonal needs and like our relationships. Being there, I think, is like really important and being around and being accessible. And I felt like I was I wasn't that because I went to college out of state and then I like took this internship out of state and I was out of country for a decent part of my college you know, as well. And so I just was like, I should like be around. And then my, yeah. we found out my mom was sick after that. And I was like, oh, good choice. I came back. Like, yeah. that's a good decision. I'm glad I didn't take like a really big job or, yeah. you know, something in California or somewhere else. And then like, couldn't come back. So yeah, but it's, um, it is a, it is a beautiful labor of love and like devotion. Yeah. Um, and I would just say, talk to as many people as you can who have adopted kids mm-hmm. and hear just about what they've done in that. So you can know if that's, if you think that that's like something you have the, the space for, mm-hmm. I would say it takes a different kind of space. Yeah. Um, certainly not a different kind of love, but just like a different kind of space to, right. to understand challenges that, that like you hadn't, you're not complicit in at all. Right. Yeah, but yeah. that, but that like this person that you've chosen to be your family is really dealing with. And it's like, how do I help you with this? But like, I don't really fully understand it and yeah. you know so it's just a very yeah but like when I have friends who are aware and who like say that that feels something like they that, that they really want to do I'm always like do it because like it's so needed yeah there's so many kids there's so many like and they and they god like everybody needs such a great home and the foster program is such garbage it's, and yeah I mean it's literally it's like pet, yeah. the worst yeah <laughs> so and yeah so I mean like please do and also please surround yourself with like so many resources if you can mm-hmm. um of people that who have either been through it or who are who can like connect you to support because i just think it will likely across the board require some additional support from oh, yeah. yeah from anyway that's, yeah, yeah. that's that's my two cents on adoption it's incredible yeah. and something that like having been through it once like i wish i had the space to do again and i i just i don't know if i if i could do it in my own home but like i, right. I think it's it's mandatory. Yeah. Like needs to, needs to be. Yeah. And it's, that's the roughest part that, that sticks out is you don't know like before Yeah. how that all, and then it, it just, it's affecting or it affects them yeah. throughout their whole, the fact that she didn't cry for three days. Oh yeah. Like, did, like can you imagine just, a nine month old not crying for yeah. three days? Like I, not at all. What? Yeah. Yeah. What the hell? You mean um, every three minutes, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And we'll, we'll go to trainings uh, at the school mm. and they would, you know, they tell us how to, how to cultivate um, emotionally and socially, mm. even just from infants to kids. And yeah. before working at the school, I just thought, I thought kids were well, whatever. And yeah. uh, they didn't function till like 10. Right. And so, <laughs> so thankfully I started working at the school and I learned a lot mm. and just being there for them, it really just it means the world and it makes a huge difference. Yeah. And yeah, that that's that's the big thing um, is uh, you don't know and yeah you don't have control over it. Um, and it's the hardest thing that that relinquishing of control yeah, and you have to like surrender to something that that like you had no yeah like you just you you, you yeah you can't fix it and you can't yeah, change yeah. it. Because, like, yeah, you yeah. do kind of have to hit that eventually, right, of this acceptance, like, I mean, this is, we've done all we can, and let's just love them. Yeah. Um, as much as point. we are able. Yeah, as yeah. much as we're able. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you started cooking super late. I know, we're going <laughs> to no. swerve. No, it's so okay. Sorry. It's great. Uh, it's a whole life, you it's, know? It's a whole life. It's a whole That's whole what life we're, to we're here for four hours. Um, <laughs> I lied in the emails. Uh, I knew it. I knew it. No. Uh, oh, cooking. Yes. 
So when you were younger then, yeah. and you're like, I'm going to grow up. That's my impression of you. Yes, uh, that was me. What did you, <laughs> perfect. I've been working on it. Yeah. Um, what did you want to be then? Yeah, that's a great question. I um, wanted to be a brontosaurus. That's so great. I, I did too, probably at age four. I was super into dinosaurs. Age 12, I found out I couldn't. No. So then <laughs> It was terrible. Um, yeah, it's just been downhill. It's downhill. Since. I'm like, yeah, I'll be a teacher or whatever. I guess. That's cool. All <laughs> kids. Um, They're fine. I want a long neck. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, what did you As imagine a child? then? Yes. Yeah, I, um, I honestly thought I was going to be some sort of scientist for a lot of my childhood. Ooh. Yeah, so like at, I said, yeah, I, I really, I was obsessively into dinosaurs at like four, five, six. Like yeah. I, all the wallpaper in my room was dinosaurs. I was that kid cool. that like read all this, the like kid science books, like Matt. Yes. Like I was the kid that knew yeah. like all the weirdo dinosaur names. Like yeah. that I was, I was like Matt in that way. Like I was he like, oh, Jimmy. He corrected me all the time. Yes, it's so incredible. <laughs> I'm going to get you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Matt, how dare you? I'm going to fight you on the playground. I am an, I am a grown ass I'm, I'm a grown ass <laughs> Asian woman, you <laughs> yes. don't mess with me. Yeah. Exactly, you don't. You're not allowed. Um, but yeah, I would have been that kid. I'd been like, um, actually, I think that you're not. You're not correct. Um, but yeah, so really was into that. Like, probably assumed I was going to do something dinosaur related, archaeologist. Who's to say? Um, and then at, when I started elementary school, I got really into the idea of being a marine biologist. So like mm-hmm. that was kind of my like a lot of young girls. I feel like it's a very like young feminine thing. Like I'm yeah. gonna play with the dolphins. I yeah. love dolphins. I really actually I had dreams in my childhood of being a fish or like Ooh. being a mar- like I really. Like, like one of my earliest memories is a dream of me, like, like waking up and like swimming in the ocean and actually like having become a fish. There was a really ridiculous show that was on television in the nineties called Sequest. And it was sort of like Star Trek under the ocean. Right. But it was like, it was, yeah, it's great with Roy Schneider from Jaws. Incredible. You should totally, I'm sure the special effects are, are just like gag worthy now. But there was a there was a guy on the show who falls in love with some like sea creature I can't remember. But they figure okay. out a way to give him gills, like he gets like like gills so he can like swim in the water with her. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, I want that. <laughs> like, I want it now. Why is that not available to me? Yeah. So really ocean interested um, for a long time. And then in middle school that developed into like I again I think I was largely influenced by the media I consumed as a child, but like. I saw Twister. Oh my gosh. Right? And I was like, oh man, I love, I was really into, like, I was totally that kid too that would, like, if I was given free reign on the TV, would, like, watch the Discovery Channel, like, hurricanes, and, yeah, like, yeah. Just, like, tornadoes coming in, or I would occasionally watch, like, the Weather Channel if they had any specials like that. Yeah. Um, and so I really was interested in meteorology, and uh, I was an honor student in my high school, and they, uh, they, my freshman year, they let us take, like, the first kind of iteration of high school online courses. And I tried to take one on meteorology, and I just, I, um, extremely conflict adverse, just in my personality, like, not very excellent at conflict, and uh, the teacher got, like, mad at me, like, I attached a JPEG wrong, and they sent me an email back in, like, all red capital letters, like, just, like, how dare you, like, they were very upset that I had, like, not attached, like, our first homework assignment well or something. And, uh, and I just dropped the class because I felt like really, I was like yeah. really ashamed and I was like, I don't know why you're mad at me and I don't get to talk to you because we only communicate via email and I just feel really attacked right now and I'm just going to not do this. So that was kind of, kind of put pink to it. Like I like walked yeah. away from like, <laughs> 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 after that I was like, I don't know. 
Um, and then, um, and I, I had always sung and I played piano. Um, and so that was really when my shift from being like talented at academics, but not really ambitious about my academics, if that yeah. makes sense. Like yeah. somebody who picked things up pretty quickly. I'm a really good short-term memorizer. So I'm excellent at like cram studying and like cool. getting a hundred percent or like 97% on the test and then like completely obliterating it from my yeah. memory. Like I don't need that. It's not part of my day-to-day life. Um, so like school was always relatively simple for me, but I wasn't, I thought that that was kind of like how I was going to get my greater meaning in life was via academics and I really got that through music a lot more. Um, and I got, my high school had this incredible choral program while I was there. I went to Corona, which is okay. in Tempe, yeah. Um, and, uh, and that was like, they had like seven choirs. Um, like, yeah, and they were all different. Yeah, so um, I, and I really, after my freshman year, like really thrived and excelled in that program and in that space. And had been taking private voice lessons for years, um, but felt really encouraged in in like pursuing music um, mm-hmm. on some level, uh, and was really disappointed. Like as somebody who started listening to like a lot of like Bjork and Radiohead and like really alternative stuff, yeah. I have a very pretty, pretty, pretty classical singing voice, yeah. and was like so sad <laughs> that like I couldn't be in like my dream like indie band because it just uh-huh. doesn't sound like. When I sing, like, <laughs> I sing arias beautifully. If I try to, like, karaoke Justin Timberlake, it just it's sounds like an yeah. opera singer singing Justin Timberlake. You know, like, it's just, it's pretty silly. I need silly. to hear this. <laughs> trying to think of... Yeah. Um, I mean... That's fantastic. It's just, it's very sad. And I was a first soprano, and it was just, it was like a very... I, so my dreams were a little, like, I was trying to take the best of what I could get with like what I had to offer with like uh-huh. my skill set as being like just really classical music is really what I sing well. Um, and, and so that was kind of how I ended up at APU. I really liked their music program. Um, they, uh, yeah, we, I was involved in it my freshman year um, and they had this really cool commercial music pilot program as well that I think was a few years in. Um, when I was there, I met, I met, I went with a friend of mine who ended up graduating from there as well. And she was a violist. And so we got to meet the viola professor when we like toured campus before we applied. And he had, he had played on some like Bjork recordings. And so I was like, this is it. I love this. I'm here. Yeah. Like, this is incredible. Um, I, I liked the campus. And so I was really excited about being a part of their music program. Um, and, and, and that really, my issue wasn't as much. I ended up leaving for personal conviction reasons, just feeling like when I was taking music classes at university, the emphasis was so heavy on me constantly having to think about myself. It's like, how is your posture? Did you drink enough water today? Like when I was taking vocal lessons at university level, my teacher was trying to tell me I have a pretty low speaking voice for a woman. But I have a I have a large range. I have like a, about when I'm when I'm in practice, I would say I have about three octaves, mm-hmm. which is which is pretty good for a lady. It's like a de- decently large range. Um, and so being a first soprano, he was like, you need to you need to raise your speaking voice. <laughs> so he was like trying to get me to speak like this when I was having conversations with people. So I was talking in my head voice more, um, and just like in set, it was so much focus about just like my daily habits, my own body, and my taking you know like. I had to constantly think about myself. Yeah. And I had to be really competitive in a lot of ways too. And I don't love the spotlight. Mm-hmm. I really love to sing. I don't love being a soloist. 
um, that much. Although I, I think I was an okay soloist when I did that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I really, I really just wanted to be a part of it. <laughs> and there isn't like when you're in a music program, especially if you're a first soprano female, like it's a lot of divas and people like really looking to mm-hmm. like put themselves out there. And that was so not what I was about. And I really didn't like that. That was like the crew of people I was like being thrown into. It felt really clickish and catty Yeah. and really just like self aggrandizing, right? Like I am so important. And like every focus that I have in my life is about this thing that I do and I was so annoyed of it after a year of doing it, like yeah. more more vocally, like that was like the main focus of my academic career, that I was like, I just can't imagine this being my life. Mm-hmm. Even though I, I, will, I will say I love farming. My body feels extremely adept at like being a farmer. When I was farming, I felt like that was exactly what I was made to do. I'm from yeah. that like Northern Irish stock of yeah. like potato farmers, right? Like we were meant to do this. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but singing is my absolute favorite thing, hands down, bar none, mm-hmm. that I've ever done with with my body. But like it's it's because I lo- I do it for the love of it, yeah. and not for the the life of it like for like the career of it or the notoriety of it you know and so and it was almost like taking taking my favorite thing and like monetizing it or you know like systematizing it it. It yeah yeah yeah, beyond like what I wanted it to be and so that was when considering a different career path became really apparent to me and we had had a a person come you have to attend chapel at Christian University um, three times a week <laughs> at my university um, and somebody had come and they are, are you I don't even know if this is still a thing anymore but it was a really big deal uh, in the early odds when I was in university but uh, have you ever heard of Garbage City in Egypt? I have not. It is uh, I don't know if it still exists I'm guessing it probably does but basically it's this it's a city in Egypt where people live and it's just entirely made out of like waste and garbage. Okay. Um, and we had a chapel speaker come who had gone to like a church service there was doing like missionary work in that area and he gave a very compelling talk and looked at a bunch of like bright-eyed you know young people filled with conviction Uh and was like you know if you are so few people are willing to go and do this work and if you feel like you can do this work then like you have to because like so few people are willing and I was like I can do this I'll do it Mr. Man like I can totally do this so it was why I ended up in the global studies department Little did anyone know within my university, I don't think at the time, how liberal that department was for the university, Mm. how few of those people that were in that program with me, who are still my, the majority of my closest friends in my life, how few of us are people of faith now, (laughs) Um, but who are very, I would say, convicted and aware of how we exist in the world and the things that we really think are important in the world. Um, like it was a, an incredible program for that. Um, and the university, I think, created a lot of outlets for people to, you know, within that, like, pivot their education as a result of the things that were available on campus, like chapel speakers or different trips. Like, I think a lot of people ended up in the global studies department thinking that they could do a lot of good in the world. And then, like, yeah. a lot of us haven't, like, ended up working in, like, international nonprofit work, which is kind of where it would seem the clearest like connect the dots would be for the type of education that we received mm-hmm. like I had an internship with the Southern California Wetlands Recovery Project and I had an internship 
um, with an NGO when I was living in Bolivia in college um, <clears throat> that did, I mean, just like a ton of basic access help for people within the city. They built like kitchen add-ons in low-income housing and they provided like after-school assistance for kids and they did, they taught people how to like container garden in old like Pepsi bottles and you know, yeah, like they, they covered a ton of different things. So like it was really gearing you up to have you know, to do like environmental work or to do international nonprofit work and, and things like that. Um, and I, it was just, yeah, like, and, and that was great. And that was really what I felt compelled to do after coming out of music and this like super self-involved education. Yeah. And um, yeah. And then, and then I just realized that, that I just saw a lot of people burning out. I saw so oh. many people without any boundaries and like any self-care and farming at least felt to me like it was so concrete that it was like something that I could do that benefited my community. I also worked with um, undocumented high school and college students that year that I interned on the farm um, and like hubbed a, a safe space and ran a meeting for them where they could come together. And we talked a lot about DACA mm-hmm. um, and uh, in other ways where like students could really just provided a space for them to connect more than anything and just like facilitated meetings. And then I also did bilingual know your rights trainings for a few different groups of people while I was there. Yeah. So people know like, yeah, like if the cops come to your house and they don't have a warrant, like you don't have to let them in. Right. You really shouldn't let them in. Please don't let them in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. please take care of yourself. Um, yeah. And that was, I mean, yeah. And that was great. Like I living in Bolivia, I, I'm not, I would not say I'm fluent in Spanish, but I'm highly conversant in Spanish and, and, and yeah, anyway, all of my college education was like great informative. I've really tangented so hard at this point. No, it's okay. But, yeah. <laughs> we never got to your favorite color. But, oh, no. it's still red. It's still, it's red. still red. Got it. Okay. So <laughs> yeah. since you didn't um, want a white savior, uh, yeah. like, what would you have named your horse? Oh, my horse? That you rode in on. Oh, that I rode in on when to... If... Had I had, had, I had you... Yeah. Um... <laughs> D'Artagnan is the, <laughs> is the word that comes to mind. The name, perfect. Yes, that comes out. Um, no, that's or, perfect. Yeah. Um, I don't know. How did? <laughs> yeah. How did you figure out singing? Like, I, I didn't fit because. Uh, yeah. I didn't figure out acting until uh, my senior year of high school. Oh, great! And I loved it, and mm. so I did it solid for, for ten years nonstop. Yeah. And uh, I totally get what you mean about the. The, the competition between mm. um, yeah. actors or whoever, whatever the field is. Right. And I was, I was just thinking, like, can we just do it for fun? Like, yeah. why do we have to yeah. go after each other? I just be like, I'm, yeah, we're working together to do this thing. Yeah. Just shut the fuck. Like, learn, learn your life. Like, yeah. let's do the thing. Yeah. But um, don't talk shit about yeah, everybody. Why do we have it. to talk shit? Yeah. <laughs> uh, when? Did, uh, yeah. When did you figure out you you could sing like? Oh. Also, your your what do you call it? Your head voice. That's my uh, regular voice. Oh my god! I have to work. Hi everybody! <laughs> uh, I tried it when I was uh, started teaching, and they're like, the kids don't respect me at all. They beat me up every day. No. Yeah, the four or five year old. Hey, it's me, Michael. Listen oh, to me. No. Um, yeah. And so that was it. And then oh, the gingerbread man took it in track. Um, of course he would. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, when did you figure out that I could sing? Yeah, that like, I like to sing? how that's interesting. That's really yeah, man. I think I was a kid. I'll, I'll do this with like Finley too, and I, I think her dad does too. Like I, I was always making up songs. I honestly, we talked about Disney in our email, right? I yeah. watched, I watched a lot of Disney movies growing up. Yeah. And um, and I really wanted to like, I mean, I wanted to be a fish. I like really wanted to kind of be the Little Mermaid. I think yeah. as much as I could. Also, totally have a thing for like 
white voice with dark hair and blue eyes. Cool. Prince Eric yeah. situation. Yeah. I mean, like, this is just like groomed a lot of my like yeah. propensities in life. Um, anyway, just so funny. But um, yeah, uh, like I remember just singing along with things from a very young age, like watching. Um, and then I took piano lessons at uh, at this place called like Yamaha that makes pianos. They used to have a school um, over on on like the east, like Chandlery, almost okay. Gilbert kind of area. I can't remember. I was six. I don't remember the cross streets. I'm so sorry. Um, there was but, a quiz, but yeah, no, it's fine. No, that's yeah, that one. You don't know your life. <laughs> you don't know. Uh, <laughs> so at the age of six, I think after showing like a musical predilection, I think my parents like talked to some friends and they were like, well, a great place to start if your kid likes music is piano lessons. So they enrolled me in these group piano lessons at this Yamaha school. And we had to do a lot of singing in piano class, like, do, re, mi, fa, sa, you know, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm so allergic also right now. That storm last night was, it was insane. T- yeah, it was, it was nuts. Just, and it didn't rain at my house. I hope it rained at yours. It, no. You know, it was just blustery. It was just sand. And allergic. And yeah. And it was great. Um, so... I just, I started singing like solfege and all of that at a very young age. I went to church all the time and there was always like a kid's choir-y thing going on there. Um, and then my church was very cool and hip growing up, Michael. There's a lot of cool so, and hip things in Yeah, well, in the, the, the youth, yes, yeah, so many cool and hip things. The youth service was called Hot Church. No hot joke. Church. Hot Church. Okay. You know, very hot. And um, and then there was like a middle school service, and so I sang on the the like worship team. I auditioned to do that <clears throat> in middle school and made that, and then did not make my I like blew my middle school to high school audition. It was like traumatic, devastating. I was probably like a pretty cocky putz at that point. Like I had been in middle school choir at my middle school as well, and was kind of like a like a a bigger timer within that like crew I guess um and I think I just had a lot of probably like undeserved confidence yeah um and had like two blows like I didn't uh I didn't make my church choir thing and so I never tried to sing at church again after that um and then when I uh I auditioned I like auditioned going into high school to get into a higher level choir for a freshman and I made that but I was coming off of being really sick and I think was just super nervous um, and traumatized from my like yeah. my church audition in middle school um, and like totally blew my freshman to sophomore year audition for my choir in mm-hmm. high school. Um, and uh, and um, I was just devastated. Uh, I was really mean to my best friend because she had promoted up and she was like trying to make me feel better about it. And I like things that like I, she's still one of my closest friends thank goodness but like things that I play over in my head and will like never forgive myself for like not being supportive of her and being totally caught up yeah. in my own bullshit um, yeah like it was just I always cared way too much about it and just loved it probably to an unhealthy amount um, yeah and so like it was but it was really like in those failures that I think I I created I like didn't didn't take it as serious, like it, it mm. I was able to create some distance in failing, and then I think I was also able to just take the work that I needed to do on it a lot more seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was really in those years towards the end of high school that I started realizing, like, oh, I, I really like this, and I, I really can do this very, very well. Um, like, if I, if I wanted to work on this, like, I certainly have a future, and that was, that was corroborated in college. I had a. Right. I, st- I still, into my sophomore year, took music classics because I was just interested in the education of it and had a few teachers that were um, 
pretty upset that I had left the program. I had mm-hmm. one teacher who told me, even though you're not in this program, <laughs> I'm going to treat you harder because you <laughs> have more talent than some of the other people in this room. And yeah. yeah, so she, yeah, she was very upset that I didn't take my talent more seriously. Um, and yeah, and I mean, it was something that I always felt a little sad about. And certainly some people were like, oh, you just couldn't hack it. And I just didn't feel the need to like defend myself against it. And I, yeah. Uh, for you know leaving the music program but yeah it was um yeah I don't I just always did it and then it kind of became something that became a more a part of like my core identity and then and then in my mid-20s I like I did try to do like a pop a pop band the sort of thing with uh, a bunch of friends and so was me and this like trio of boys <laughs> yes yeah let's go there yeah no that was what? super have a fun. name yeah this is so dumb speaking of hot, no, was, we were called hot noise hot <laughs> Okay, there's a lot of hot, cool, hip things. So many things. hot, cool, hip things. Um, yeah, it was... Uh, how did that even happen? I was working at Cartel as a barista, and I had a regular who was really into music. We had a lot of, like, he would come in, and we would just, like, chat while I was making his drink. And one night, I think he invited me to go to a concert with him, and um, I met a couple of his friends there, and they were in a band, and his name was Alex, and he was moving away. And so... But, like, I met these other guys that he was playing in a band with, and we, we like, had a couple drinks. I was, like, 25. We had, like, a few drinks, and I sang them this, like, 50-state song that I had learned in fifth grade or something. And my friend Michael, whom I met that night, was like, oh, man, I love this. I like the way you sing. I think it's really interesting and cool. Like, maybe we should, like, do some music stuff. And I hadn't done music since, like, my freshman year of college or sophomore year of college, right? So I was like, okay, maybe, but, like... Uh, I mean, I'm just not sure. I don't really think I sing yeah. classical music very well. Um, but so Michael, his friend Miguel, and I started this like little trio. And then one day, my friend Michael was like, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna invite my friend over who plays bass, who is who I knew from high school, who was like a dear friend of mine, who was super involved in our, my choral program in high school, uh-huh. him and his twin brother, uh, my friend Anthony, who has his own podcast, oh, actually, cool. yeah. like a, a really cool award. He's a neuroscientist, um, so he has a podcast called Brain Matters, and he like won a couple Ooh. like cool big awards for it too. I that. Yeah, oh, it's great. He's so great. Um, but he ended up playing bass in our band, so it was like my buddy from high school, um, and then Michael and Miguel, and we just wrote a lot of like silly, like nothing's cohesive. Yeah. We were together for like maybe 18 months as a band and then um and then Anthony moved to UT where he finished his doctorate and then um yeah I think Michael and got married and he and his wife were planning on moving away and yeah um yeah and so it was just a it was a crazy thing but it was so much fun it was like so silly and it was great because because it wasn't the music that I felt like I was I was like super great at I Uh wasn't anywhere near as like protective of it uh-huh. so I felt like I got to just have a lot more fun yeah. with it and, and play around and they're just all such delightful people Michael and Miguel and Anthony and so that was like a really fun season where I like played shows at bars and like and and like tried to be a front woman which is really not my like <laughs> you just said you don't like yeah no I don't like I was a very reluctant but I I'm certainly a singer more so than I am anything else so it was like if I was gonna be in a band I wasn't you know like I'm not a great I occasionally played like keyboard on a couple of things I'm not like a drummer I had tried to play guitar in high school and never got my calluses like hard enough to feel like it, it got fun it just was always painful yeah and then I was like I'm done I'm done okay. I can't do <laughs> this, this always is, hurts I'm this over is it terrible. I'm not good yet yeah <laughs> if it doesn't come if easily it's... sometimes I just want to walk yeah. away yeah I'm just like if I'm not picking it up so that was uh, that was my yeah my fun little band 
But I think we still have some sort of page where you can find our stuff. It's so weird. It's so We're like, gonna strange. find we the yes, royal the we are gonna, <laughs> We're gonna find we're it gonna now. We're gonna do it. Oh, I love those. Anyway. I uh <laughs> in uh yeah, high school yeah. I I rapped. Um, oh yes, yes, of course you did. <laughs> of course I did. <laughs> I, I did rap. an MIA song in our band where I rap yeah. too. Yeah, nice. so I hear that. Perfect. And I'm white, and, um, so it's bad. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, me and my friends, and so we'd rap, and then mm-hmm. I thought, oh, this is cool, but I found I found writing uh, therapeutic, and mm. so uh, I don't know when it clicked in my head that uh, maybe I'm not going to make it as, like, a, a as rapper. A rapper? No. So, uh, <laughs> so then I started kind of twisting it more to like spoken word mm. uh twisting it more to storytelling yeah um and now uh serena yells at me to not do it but uh <laughs> i'm starting to twist it more into like stand-up comedy so yeah. i've been taking notes and figuring out how do i turn maybe this poem into a joke or how do i make this joke more poetic mm-hmm. and so i'm trying to do the answer is like no stop it you're doing too much you need to sit your ass down stop <laughs> mellow it, it out. out you're the most ambitious 14 year old i've <laughs> ever met and it's weird that we're married because you're 14. yeah i'm 14. in, Cam- yeah. in cambodia it was fine um, that's great <laughs> uh, i'm filipino wait a second no um i'm so sorry it's okay <laughs> what um yes there we go. Perfect. So yeah. the next question. No, uh, with so you're a mom. Spoiler alert. Uh, watch out. Watch out, everybody. Yeah. What Mama do you time. take um, <clears throat> from how you were raised with your mom and dad, mm. and you would like to continue? You yes. With, uh, with, with, uh, with Finley. Your, your Finley. Okay. My you, Finley you and Elena. I do. And Elena. Yes. And Elena. Yeah. Um, so different because yeah, I'll talk, I can talk about Finley probably more easily than with Elena. Um, yeah, I mean, what I really liked, I mean, I mentioned this earlier, is that my parents often told the truth to me and, like, brought me into things that I don't feel like was very common. A lot of, I feel like in a lot of people's childhood, childhoods, their parents just, like, told them, well, this is what's happening, this is what it's going to be, and I, I do try to, like, talk to her about it mm-hmm. and let, and try to give her a space to tell me how she feels about something, even if it's something I don't agree with or, um so funny like we in april we moved in with my partner who also has a five-year-old daughter elena and um and it's so funny because she finley is so excited (laughs) whenever elena's there she's like so pumped and they are very siblingy and they're like and they like love and hate each other and they fight and they share and they you know they're five-year-olds um but like i feel like she is so much more engaged having another child around um the things that she likes to do are things that are like harder for me to do as a parent. Like she's so she so wants to play pretend all the time, oh. but she's very um, like very totalitarian regime about like how you play pretend. I don't know if you remember yeah. this, yeah. yeah. Um, and so it can be like I'll it like takes a lot of energy for me to like okay we're gonna play pretend all right and like I'll go in and like try to start playing pretend with her and then she'll just get really bossy with me mm-hmm. and then I'll be like oh I don't like I'm starting to shut down here like I'm yeah, starting yeah. to like be like less engaged in our pretend because yeah. you're telling me everything that I have to do mm-hmm. and I'm trying to remind you that like well other people have feelings and yes other yeah people yeah are allowed to play too and yeah. have their own thoughts and you know and ideas um but so it's yeah, anyway, all that to say, I really do try to, like, hear her out 
um, to, yeah, to like, to, to have her tell me that she really misses our like kind of grungy old apartment that we lived in before we moved into this much nicer, much more roomy house with like a pool of our own. And, you know, like, yeah. and she, uh, yeah, she'll just be like, I miss that. I miss our old house. And I just want to go back to being Philly and mommy. And, uh, and I'm like, okay, I can understand why that's, yeah. you know, sad for you. So I felt like my parents gave me space to say what I needed to say to disagree um and I think that that's I, th- I think that's probably my like biggest takeaway um and then and then trying to be a, like around I think this is this is almost like reactionary because mm-hmm. my parents were so professional and so neat like probably necessarily work driven when I was a smaller child in like elementary school but I feel really lucky that my job as long as I'm there consistently for 40 hours a week my in time and out time has some flexibility so like right now I feel really excited my parents never picked me up at school I was like always in after school programs and I always was like bummed to be there and had some like bad experiences at aftercare like found out about sex from like an older kid at aftercare just like telling me like like oh I watch porn and and that's sex you know (laughs) I think I knew that kid too yeah he's a bad kid (laughs) Scott no, I'm so sorry, Scott. No, Scott, don't worry about it. But yeah, but just like things like that that I'm like, I would love to like save you from some of these, like, yeah, these not great experiences yeah. that I had or just feeling like my, the time that I had with my parents was really limited. Like, and it was usually like completely overwhelmed by a whole workload from especially being like an honor student or, you know, that like we just didn't really have a lot of time to just like be together. And yeah. being a mostly only child during those formative years, like I had very, I felt like very alone and very like in my head a lot. And, you know, yeah. and so I like really, in a lot of ways I am reactionary to the way that I was raised, but I think it's a lot of just like listening, admitting when I was wrong. Mm-hmm. A lot of admitting when I was wrong, a lot of, and I felt like my parents were good about apologizing to me if they made mistakes. And I think it's really important for kids to know that their parents make mistakes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. and grownups mess up. And, like, the way that I, yeah, like, if I raise my voice, which I, do, I try not to do, but it, like, inevitably happens. Mm-hmm. That, like, I'm sorry that I raised my voice. Do you understand why I got upset? And try to, like, yeah. really break it down um, for her. Uh, and, and I think, like, a lot of my takeaway is just that communication space. Um, yeah, because, like, my, my memories of my childhood are really fuzzy. It kind of all blurs together. Yeah. I don't know if you think about this, but it's like the more I learn of the world and the more my worldview shifts, the harder it is for me to remember my thoughts and feelings from, like, a prior worldview. So when I think about my childhood, Ooh. my understanding of the world an interesting idea. and like yeah. where I am in it was so different that, and I have, I don't really have a lot of sympathy for like selfish ego driven child Casey yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with her woeful problems <laughs> of like having a mom who works too much yeah. so that she has too many toys, you know, like yeah. blah, 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 like my privileged upbringing. Um, like I don't, I don't have a lot of sympathy for my childhood feelings. And so it's hard for me to look back on that and remember how it felt to be a child because so many, I think, of my memories are attached to my emotions. Yeah. Um, when I don't have a ton, <laughs> and I don't think it's necessarily healthy, but I don't have a ton of sympathy for my child for my childhood self. Yeah. I'm like, you should have had more information. <laughs> like, you should have realized 
that your actions had negative effects on uh-huh. the people around you. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and I and I think that that is. I think it's something I, I would love to work on, like in my own time when I when I reflect on my like upbringing, like being more gentle with myself as a as a kid. Like as mm-hmm. we try to be gentle with our children, yeah. I don't expect my daughter to be, you know, twenty five and yeah. <laughs> have the calm, cool composure of a yeah. you know somewhat well adjusted twenty five year old. Um, but sometimes I expect that of my of my childhood self. Now yeah. that now that I've like had a you know a relatively full mid thirties life, and I can look back and. And be like, man, why was I? Why did I say that mean thing to my friend in high school when she yeah. got into the higher choir and I didn't? Like, I can't imagine yeah. doing that. At Stupid me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, oh. And so it's hard for me sometimes to remember all of the ways in which my my parents like were there for me. I think it's so easy for us to remember like the one offs mm-hmm. of the times when things got like really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being 14 and the only time my mom ever like touched me in anger, her just like slapping my face and saying, don't be a bitch. (laughs) You know, to like a 14 year old, I'm sure I was being terrible. Uh 14 year old girls are usually across the board awful. Speaking as one, yes, we are awful. Yes, (laughs) Yes, you can really tap into the here and now, the royal we. Um, Damn it. But yeah, I I think that that's, there, there was always the desire to listen, and um, and and a deep understanding that I was a major priority, even if the way that I experienced love. I, mean, I do believe in like love languages and and things like that, and I think the way that I experience love is is through is primarily through words of affirmation and quality time. Almost hard for me to like separate the two. I don't know if mm-hmm. you're familiar at all with languages uh, yeah. or yeah. Um, and so I think my parents didn't weren't always able to speak my love language in the way that I really needed it spoken to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that I always understood that their intentions were for the best for me. Um, and I and I think that that like purity of communication is something I really do try to like bring to my daughter as well. That like try to remind her how much I love her especially if we have she takes like a lot of any kind of critique as like bad yeah (laughs) um just like you need to finish your dinner now and her new favorite phrase is I'm trying my best (laughs) she dropped that uh like once or twice yeah Yeah. and um and just like I understand that you're trying your best but I really think that you can try harder Mm -hmm. I understand that you you know like trying to again hold the space acknowledge her feelings but also like push it because like you can't eat lunch for 90 minutes my love oh my goodness yeah she would get up and I, I think I'm pretty sure I've told you this, but yeah. she'd get up and she'd just say, I have a speech, everyone. <laughs> Finley's in the middle of lunch. You gotta, you gotta sit down. Yeah. This will be quick, Michael Lobo. And <laughs> she'd go on. And Jeremiah and I would just sit there and just, it's been 10 minutes. Nobody's eating. Yeah. Like, you need to stop. I'm almost done. And <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. But I was like, well, now no one's... Nobody's, nobody's eating. Nobody's eating. You're not eating. I'm not eating. Yeah, I'm uh, listening to your. And so now I'm listening. Very. You're very eloquent. Just... <laughs> How are you? So none of it makes sense, but it's yeah, it's but well it, spoken. It's like so charismatic. It's charismatic. Yeah, yes, it was perfect. Yeah. Um, A I lot lo- of her dad, I would say, probably in that more than more than me, just mm. like thriving in that in that spot. Yeah, where she just yeah. Yeah, and trying to, and again, and I think as somebody who really uh, enjoys being a bit more of a wallflower. 
like have pushed myself into trying to be somebody who can like speak publicly just shut it off like don't feel anything and speak yeah. publicly no pain um, shut it down um that yeah like I, I try to i want to give her spaces to be the extremely um extroverted yeah. you know like i think attention garnering <laughs> yeah. human that she is while also trying to foster like empathy and her right. like an understanding that like it, I understand that to you it is the Finley show and to the yeah. rest of us like we also have our own shows going yeah. on and sometimes like we need to allow the other show yeah, to like to be on, to be, on. Exactly. Yes. To be broadcast yeah. in a world of screens you know broadcast yeah. to the Gosh. other show yeah. I know it's, it's a bummer yeah. but yeah um, I, all that to say I find parenting extremely challenging and oh, yeah. the greatest way to feel shame Oh, that I've ever experienced in my uh, entire life. <laughs> I, mine is only two, mm. and uh, and I love him. And then I'll I'll say, "Come on, it's time to go inside." And he's figured out no. Oh yeah. And he's figured out you know to put sentences together. And he's like, "No, pop, pop." And he does like a squat and a point. And he's like, "No, pop, pop." And he runs. <laughs> I go, "Get over here! Get your ass!" No, pop, pop. <laughs> and uh, like he dropped something, and he said, "Oh shit!" And oh I said, no. Uh-oh. Whoops. Whoopsies. And then um, I think Serena said fuck, and he said it, and I said, well, I guess it's just... just so now we're just going to anticipate all the parent-teacher conferences. Yeah, like, with all the swearing. He called someone a bitch-ass hoe, and I was like, well, that's probably from a DMX song. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I'm sorry. Probably it's shouldn't be listening. I don't know anymore. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I... I well, mine is sort of like the, the opposite of... Mm-hmm. So I had a terrible childhood, oh, but uh, no. so I'm trying to do the opposite. Yeah. So I'm like, what did my parents not? They didn't. They never hugged me. All right, come oh. here. You're hugging me. You're hug- <laughs> Get over here. I need to touch I you. I need now. to touch you. Give me a hug. Yeah. Um, and uh, I I want to be encouraging and yeah. um, help them out with everything. Yeah. Where everything was, if I tried to say, well, this this makes me mad. It'd be like, what the fuck did you say to me? And then yeah. do like that flinch, like they're gonna oh. hit me. And I go, oh god. And sometimes they they would hit me. And yeah. I go, okay, so I'm just never talking. Yeah. And so oh. when you said when you were in your head, it was, and it's strange when I see, uh, like like you you and Finley are the parents at school with their kids. They hug and say, I love you, I love you too. Mm. And they just I go, I never. What is that? What if yeah. and Serena's super close with her family? Mm. In my house, it was like I'm in my room. My brothers were in their room. Yeah. My dad was in the living room. My mom was in her room, and we didn't interact Whoa. unless we ate. Mm. And it was just strange. And then, um, yeah. So mine is like sort of the the flip of like what yeah. not to do. For sure. On the other way. Um, yeah, like I take a few. I take I take a lot of um like foundational stuff that they did. Yes. But I would say that I, f- I, I feel like I talk a lot. I like, she had, it's so different because the way you parent is so like based on your kid. Oh yeah. Cause like Finley has so many feelings and needs to like exorcise those feelings. And I was just, I have, I am a deep, I'm like a highly sensitive person. I'm a deep feeler, but I don't like. It, it takes a lot for me to feel like safe expressing all of my feelings to somebody. Mm-hmm. I often just internalize it and like work it through by myself. Yeah. Or with like a trusted friend in a like verbal processing, like, well, and then this happened and I think I felt, but like I have to like talk it out and I, it's like systematic. Right. Whereas she's just like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 
every yeah. feeling and yeah. now it has to all come out and if you don't hear it then it's not real yeah. and blah and so it's like interesting because my I never saw my parents I often left if my sister was doing that <laughs> like, I'd be yeah. like I'd be like cool I need a lot of peace and this is really destabilizing my internal peace so like I'm gonna go downstairs because yeah. like I can't deal with this and it's not my stuff uh-huh. um so like I would <laughs> I like didn't I didn't like watch them interact with her a lot. I didn't I did have some like big emotional I mean like you have so many hormones in like middle school and high school. Like I definitely did have some emotional outbursts. Um and they they would like sit with me through that. Mm. So I feel like my takeaway is like sitting with her through her feelings. Yeah. Um but yeah, but like a lot of the practices, I feel like I practice these like foundational things that I took from my upbringing very differently. Mm. Not because I think that they did it badly I just think she's such a different child than right. I was that like I have to embody it differently yeah in order f- you know in my attempts to fuck her up as little as possible yeah, yeah, yeah. you know like she's going to be yeah exactly my, I, had some, I had some really good I had some friends that I grew up with at Hot Church you know yeah, cool oh, guys yeah not again. Um, yeah I know we keep bringing it up they're they're great. They're like they still are people of faith, but are very progressive and live in San Francisco. Oh, okay. And they have three kids, and they're like very involved in like yay gay and woo climate change. Like it's bad. We should fix it. And yeah. are people of faith? And I totally I like really respect that. I'm like if you can find that harmony and make it work yeah. and be like decent humans and like all the high fives. That's incredible. So they're great. And uh, the dad, Jared, the last time I saw him, he said to me, yeah, like, I feel like the goal of parenting is just not to fuck your kids up the same way, you know? Like, yeah. just, like, have learned enough to not do the exact same fucked up things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, one thing that I'm trying to do is, like, we will normalize conversations about, like, bodies and sex and things yeah. from, like, a young age. So you're not a 25-year-old never-been-kissed person because I just had no under... It was just a (laughs) no-no. Just sex, no. Don't talk about it. Don't think about it. At my university, there were four girls to every boy, and I'm I'm not straight. Uh, I'm I'm bi. But, like, you couldn't even really explore that. Like, you could get kicked off of campus for for being found out of... So, like, it was just a lot of, like... I didn't have a lot of options. The options that I had were really, like, deeply troubled humans, mostly. Like, most of my male friends in college were dealing with a lot of trauma. Yeah. From, you know... And so, I was just like, yeah, I mean, I didn't really date at all until I was 25. And at that point in time, the learning curve is steep. People have done a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh So, it's just like, so... Like, having an understanding of, like, how do you contract STDs? Yeah. What is good consent? Like, things yeah. that not a part of, like, anything that was ever talked about with me mm-hmm. in in high school, in middle school, in high school, in college, you know, and, like, really important information. Oh, yeah. You know, that, like, just would have been helpful. So it's, like, taking things that I'm, like, okay, cool, yeah. Oh, I see that you're doing childhood masturbation. That's chill just, like, in your room by yourself. Not, like, no, stop, walk yeah. away, don't no, touch. No, touch yeah. it. Vaginas are bad. You know, like, yeah. just more like, okay, cool, that's, like, something to do when you're alone. You know, yeah. not really, like, around other people. Yeah. But, like, that's chill. Because now it's just me crying. Yeah. It's exactly. like, are you crying? Oh, I know what you're doing. Yeah, okay. exactly. Exactly, yeah. 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 Just crying. Just weeping. This yeah. cold play blasted. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, just, it's like, we try to fuck our kids up differently. Too. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that I'm not providing for her in a way that like I don't understand as a parent and especially as only a half-time parent who doesn't you know her dad and I are not close Mm -hmm. for out of necessity 
um, that like so there's just a lot of things I don't know about mm. that go on at dad's house that like yeah. I don't know how to create the space for here mm-hmm. so I think sometimes even I don't respond to her well like she might be going through something and I don't know something that happened at dad's house that I don't know about yeah and she doesn't know how to tell me about yeah, yeah you know and so it's it's like yeah anyway all that to say I'm sure I will fuck her up I'm just trying to fuck yeah, her up just different. less and different yeah, yeah less and different less I don't feel super fucked up and I don't feel like it was I really feel like church fucked me up a lot more than my parents did yeah they just brought me there but because they thought that that was good and I mean I'm, I was a much like kinder and probably more moral person and I experimented like with drugs and like promiscuous sex a lot less like as a teen have you seen Euphoria? I keep hearing about oh this oh my god don't watch it you have don't children don't watch it oh well, I mean, I watched I mean, 13 Reasons Why, and I'm like, well, I don't want my kid to grow up ever. Ever! Like, I watched Euphoria, and I'm like, it's like a 16-year-old girl camming, and I'm like, oh, no, like, no, no, you know, like, that's one storyline, you know, or like a, uh, a 17-year-old getting addicted to opiates, uh, like, I'm, oh, God, it's just like all these things that I'm like, well, I just, I don't know how to... I feel like drawing hard lines isn't really helpful for children. Like, really hard. Like, never, ever. But I also am like, but I don't know how to, like, keep anything blurry when shit like this is going down. Like, fucking... Like, I want you to have a healthy sexual experimentation period. And I want you to feel like if you try alcohol before you're 21, you're not going to, like, burn in the deepest fires of hell. Yeah. But I also don't want to, like, open the door to, like, (laughs) euphoria. Crap. (laughs) Yeah, like... Just taking liquid fentanyl and almost dying on a couch. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, please, no, don't. Especially because yeah. her dad's a recovering opiate addict. Uh-huh. So I'm just like, no, no, no. It's already in your DNA. Let's not, you know, let's, yeah. let's just not invite that. It's not a hard line, but you don't want to make the line too wiggly. Yeah. Of just, yeah. And so I have no, I just feel completely lost in terms of modern parenting. And, like, you can watch porn on your phone. And yeah. you can, like, watch videos where people get like murdered in real life yeah. and stuff and I'm like how do I I can't like blanket you it's so much as a sheltered kid uh-huh. it's so much like I didn't even like like I didn't like I like when I so I was in high school when the internet was like AOL still yeah. and you had to like aim your friends uh-huh. cause like text messaging was so challenging and expensive mm-hmm. so like everybody was like aiming away and, like, that was your, like, subversive friend time. And, like, occasionally right. you'd be, like, on the internet, like, the porno ad would pop up. And I'd be like, oh, my God. I know, God. yeah. I was like, what the fuck is going on? I was like, get rid of it. I shouldn't look at this, you know? And so it's just, like, that was so much harder to find. Or if you could find it, it was still, like, really softcore. Like, it yeah, wasn't, yeah, like, it anything wasn't, that was, like... And it took I'm, forever to load. Yeah, exactly. That's, like, well, we're still on the neck. Yeah. Here we are. Oh, right. man, yeah. And I'm just, like, but now, I mean, you can find anything. Yeah. And it normalizes such bizarre behavior. Yeah. That I'm just, I'm just, I'm so terrified, Michael. <laughs> no, I am too. I, yeah. And I just, uh, I'm so not prepared. Yeah. Like, <laughs> at all. So we're just like, no, he's not getting a phone till he's 27. Yeah. But he has like, friends with phones. He has friends with, this he's not the, having friends. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> He'll get never rid of have all friends. the friends. Constant he's, supervision. He's, how do we get him Malware. on the chess team? Yeah, exactly. Get him on the chess team. He won't have friends. No, no oh, friends. Except God. they're all hackers. And they're all, they're, they're all hackers. like fucking hentai. You know what I'm oh, saying? Oh no! Like, exactly. I was gonna show him anime. <laughs> you no. Know? Anyway, I'm just saying. This, these are the woes. That, of that felt happy. 
Yeah, I'm I sorry. This is, this, okay. yeah. is this okay? This is okay on your podcast? Airing. Oh, okay. No, I'm so airing. sorry. I'm so sorry. This is the number one in a sub-Saharan <laughs> Africa. And so we can't talk we about the blows. This and Quebec. <laughs> like, they're going to throw a fit. When they have gonna... never, ever thought about the repercussions yeah. of raising children of in modern letting America. letting this Filipino woman have a podcast. Um, yes. So I usually uh, end with mm-hmm. a little more random questions. Um, That's great. I'm sorry if that was I, way too explicit. No, it was fantastic. No. Uh, no, it was good. Uh, <laughs> K-Momo won't uh, add, uh, sponsor me anymore, but that's no. cool. Take K-Momo. Um, <laughs> would you rather... Here we go. Yeah. I'm really glad this is the first one. Would you rather uh, have someone um, give you LSD on a random day? Okay. Once a year. Uh-huh. But you don't know... When it's going to be. You don't know when the day is going to be. Mm. Um, or have everyone take LSD at the same time. Oh, definitely have everybody take LSD at the same time. That's what I feel like. Yeah. I am a big control freak though. Like I, like I've done very little drug experimentation, Mm -hmm. not because I'm inherently against it. Just because I, when I don't feel in control in my body, it's a very like scary feeling for me. It feels like very like worrisome. (laughs) So if I could plan and know everybody is just going to be completely out of their minds. (laughs) I've wanted to try shrooms, but I'm like, I need this person there, this person there. Yeah. I need someone stronger than me in case yeah. I try to do something and just Crazy. pull me down. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah, like I just feel there's a lot more planning involved, and that would there's, be a dream. Yeah, that'd be yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what are you looking forward to in the coming months? Coming months. Is there months. stuff happening? Is there, um, it's sort of silly, but yeah, um, my best friend's getting married in October, which is great. Cool. I might not be married. But I love when people are happily married. I think yeah. it's great. Um, and I'm, I'm like, doing all the dessert for her wedding, which is really fun. It's, like, the first cool. time I've been able to, like, pay it forward, you know, yeah. in, like, a real friend's life. Um, because so many of my closest friends don't live in Arizona. So I'm actually, and I'm taking, we're going off-roading. We're going to, she's getting married in L.A., Ooh. like, uh, in Eagle Rock. So, um, so I get to, like, figure out how to, like bake all of my stuff in like an Airbnb yeah. in Eagle Rock. Um, but yeah, that's exciting. And she's a diabetic. So I have like these like interesting, like I'm doing some vegan stuff for her and oh. I'm doing some like mostly sugar free stuff for her and some other, but yeah, like I'm, I'm excited for that's the challenge. Yeah. It'll be yeah. great. And uh, we're trying, Stephen and I are trying to figure out right now if we can take the girls. Cause like a lot of my college friends just my last five years have been, you know, I lost my mom and I had a baby and shortly after that I got divorced and like, there's just been like a lot a of lot, stuff. Yeah. yeah. So like a lot of people haven't like met Finley. A lot mm. of my like oldest dearest friends or they saw her maybe when she was like an infant, but she's like a person now. She's, yeah. yeah. She's such a person. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like so a, much personality. So many. So I'm really, that's like kind of the big thing. And then, I mean, the holidays are always, there are a lot. Elena's birthday is November 1st. Finley's birthday is December 14th. And then it's like Christmas. So it's uh-huh. just like insane. It's like, yeah, yeah nice. I forgot about yeah. Thanksgiving. Like in the, so it's like the holidays are always really intense, but also like there, it's just like, it's like a party for like two months, yeah. you know, for our family. I it's like just that. like go and go and a birthday here and a mom's birthday and dad's birthday. And right. uh, cause my partner's also divorced. So we just like go to all the houses and do Perfect. all the things. Just so many parties. And we have this great, like progressive relationship pretty much with his ex and her partner and mm. their her partner's kids he has like two older kids so we're like all pretty chill so we like hang out yeah it's great um Mm -hmm. do you have the awkward uh Thanksgiving Christmas um so there's this guy Trump he won um it's terrible now it's taking a (laughs) my parents I don't know why my parents are but they're Mm. Trump supporters and I'm like you guys are immigrants Mm. why would you do that yeah uh (laughs) so it's always awkward 
on those. Do you have, or is everyone mm. that you interact with pretty uh, my, like-minded? My is family, it? I would say, my dad's like moderate, mm. I would say. He's really opened up a lot more since he remarried, mm-hmm. um, which is great. It was great. Like, I was a really big LGBTQ supporter even before I knew I was, like, a part of the community in high school, like, going to church, being in Gay-Straight Alliance at my high school, mm-hmm. and that was really hard. My dad uh, had some hard stuff around that, like, as a child, and um, <clears throat> really not supportive, and he's, like, really opened up around that uh, in a lot of ways, and um, I think has just has just, like, he's just really softened, I think, like, in finding... A partner that he communicates a bit more easily with than I think he did with my mom and who has a lot he was kind of like against our divorce like my my ex and I um, for a little bit and but his his wife was married to somebody kind of similar I would say to Mm -hmm. Finley's dad and so it was like kind of through talking to her he could like understand the only person in my whole family like all of my mom's family my dad's family the only one in my like immediate family that is divorced like all my aunts and uncles grandparents everybody stayed together or somebody died so it was like a big deal <clears throat> when when that happened. So I feel like he's really he's a lot more chill, and that's good. We have some stuff, but like my family is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Stephen, my partner's family, uh, he's the only non-Mormon in a family of Mormons. Oh yeah, very big. Yeah, like his brother is a bishop right now. His dad has been a bishop, I think, on multiple occasions. His parents went on a second mission after his dad uh, retired. Uh huh. So like they are they are very devout, um, yeah. and we are like the like hey we're, we're living together we're not married we yeah. <laughs> we're both divorced yeah. like, we're definitely like I have facial piercings yeah. I think I took two of them out the first time I met them because I was like well just like tone it down just, a little yeah, a just little like tiny a moderate bit and yeah. this is out yeah yeah exactly so um yeah I mean like it's just like and I work for a coffee company. <laughs> can't drink coffee. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're Mormon. So, like, it's, uh... So you're, like, the cartel to them. I am. Exactly. They're they're very kind. They, like, let me bake and, like, they'll eat the food. That they're very... They're, they really... They try. They, like, as much as they can, yeah. they, like, make an effort. So, but we definitely, like, when we go to their family events, I think we're we're always, like, the the quiet ones. Yeah. And a family... Yeah. An entire family. He's a mega introvert. An entire family of, like, pretty big introverts. He's easily, like, the most quiet and the most reserved yeah. at, like, all the family things. And I think they just don't really know how to talk to us. Like, because they... So much of what they talk about is, like, church-related, Mormonism-related mm-hmm. and, like, church-centric that I think they're just like, well, what do we talk to you what guys do, about? Yeah. You, what, what do you, do you even do? do? Like all sweaters? that time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, what's a piece of advice that's always stuck with you? It's mm. interesting. I don't, I don't feel like I'm excellent at, like, idioms or, like, like sayings or, like, things that are... Um, can I, I feel just like there's like a person that I think is like, yeah, yeah, gives sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's relatively trite, but I think also extremely transformative. Um, I think coming out of, whenever you like come out of a, of a big relationship, regardless of the dynamic, I think there's always some like major self-reflection that comes as a, as a part of that. And as you come to understand, you know, what went wrong and your, compli- your you know, your complicity in that and, um, and I, I read a lot of Brene Brown after um, after I split with Finley's dad. Um, and I think, like, just a lot of what she has to say surrounding, like, shame and surrounding, like, leaning. She uses this phrase a lot, leaning in. Um, and I use it a lot, too. Like, I think about that. Just, like, like when I have a feeling 
trying not to, I mean, I mean, I joked about this earlier, but trying not to like shut my feelings off and like leaning yeah. into them, leaning into my shame, leaning into any like trauma that I have, leaning into um, why I'm feeling like, sad or down. I haven't dealt a lot with um, depression, mm. um, but that that's certainly like come up a few times. Um, I think especially in the last few years and, and, and like not running away from that. So I would just say, I would say like leaning into your feelings rather than trying to bury them or run away from them or pretend like they're not there, I think is always something that I think is extremely helpful Yeah, as much as you're able to do in that Mm. time. Because I think a lot of people, it's like you have a big feeling come up and you just don't like have the space to like manage it. Yeah, exactly. I try to just like put it away for later. But remember, like we need to pick this up. We really need to like dive in here like later on. Dirty laundry. Just sitting on top (laughs) of it under the bed. Yeah, so that's probably it. Um, What's the most interesting place you've been? Hmm... Interesting. That's like an important word here. I was like, yeah. just like, um, I mean, I was, I was fortunate. I've been fortunate enough to do some like pretty extensive international travel for at least in my younger years. I haven't done it very much in my adult, like post 25 life, but, um, yeah, I mean, Bolivia is like so many things mm-hmm. in one. that I think is really cool. Like you have these, you have like the Andean highlands that are extremely dry. Um, Water is challenging. Sun is challenging. Like, like like there's so much of it. It's Mm -hmm. very cold because it's so high. Like, like the the capital La Paz, it's, uh, I think it, I think it might be the highest capital city of a country in the world. It's like 12,000 feet above sea level. So like, I got very ill when I went there. <laughs> so oh high. Um, yeah, just like, whoa. So you're just, I mean, we're at sea level here, basically. Um, so you have that, and then you have these, like, lush rainforests. You have, um, like, just so much history in a place. They used to they used to have access to the ocean, and they had a war with Chile, and then Chile took their, their like, mm. ocean. They, they still, there's, like, if you talk to Bolivians, they're very, like, angry at Chileans because yeah. they took their ocean. Um, but, I mean... I think it's probably the most interesting place that I've been because I spent the most amount of time there and I got okay. to go like kind of all over the country. Like, like I could say like I've spent time in the FA and I've spent time in Juarez and I've spent time, uh, like on, in, in like various border towns in Mexico. And, and that's incredible. I, I got to go to China and that's incredible because it's so otherworldly. Um, I did some traveling in high school where I went to, uh, I went to like the Bahamas, which is really in need right now as well. Yeah. Um, and, and did like hurricane reconstruction work and some like vacation Bible school stuff with kids. And, and I, I went to Jamaica the summer before I went to college, um, and, and had a really transformative, like transformational week, um, working with like inner Island folks who are extremely poor and have very little access to things with all the like wealth on the outer side of the, of the Island. Like the Mm. inner Island is, extremely poor and very under uh, like they just have very little access to basic services um and support and so like like that was all great but I I got to spend four months like a like a good chunk of time in Bolivia and and I think that just getting to meet so many different kinds of people I went to the 40th anniversary of the death of Che Guevara at where he was killed um and like that was just fascinating I had so many different people there like I met I met these Australian socialists that like had traveled down for the cool. event, and these Argentinian communists who like came there and like 
there were just people from all over the world and like running into people that I had met like other places when I was in Bolivia. Like uh, I lived in a smaller part of Cochabamba for a while when I first arrived. Um, and like one of the teachers at the language school that I was at, like we got to like connect while she was there. And so, um, yeah, and like going to the rainforest and going to like pineapple farms. And, uh, yeah. and then I got to interview a bunch of folks who were living on the outside of cities uh, about like their access to basic services, especially living in like edge communities that are that are sort of like self-made. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, just like the, it was so rich because of the amount of time spent and the amount of history of like all of South America that really like culminates when you get to go to events and you get to meet all these different folks yeah. from different places so i mean that was it more to probably do with the amount of time that i got to spend and the yeah. research put into it but like just so rich um and such a, a place that i wish more people traveled to to like better understand because it's so close to peru we just goes to peru and they're like don't but i'm like oh man the bolivia is incredible you know yeah. so yeah anyway probably bolivia. that's awesome yeah that's great um, would you rather never lose your phone again or never lose your keys again? Never lose my keys again. Oh, yeah? I wish I could get rid of my phone every day of oh, my gosh. life. <laughs> oh, I, I do lose my keys more mm. often. And Serena will yell at me. She goes, there's hooks next to the door. <laughs> you come in. Yeah. Just put on the hooks. Like, the never. door. And I go, no, somehow it's under the couch. Yeah. Why is it under the couch? Somehow it's always in the cushion. Yeah. On the edge of the couch. Yeah, and I don't know how too. it happened. Yeah. Like, where did, how did... Once it was in the bathtub. Oh, and I go, yeah. well, how did I get that far? <laughs> like, and then why did I take them out? I don't know. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I wish then, I could lose it and never have a phone again, honestly. Yeah, it's pretty It'd be bad. so great. It's... Oh, it sucks you in. Oh, yeah. If, oh, my gosh. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the worst parent when... Uh, so I'm with my son. Mm-hmm. And someone texts. And I go, okay, I'll just text real quick. Yeah. And I text. And then, bloop, bloop, Facebook. Oh, let me get on Facebook real quick. Yeah, yeah. And then, bloop, bloop, YouTube. And then, bloop, bloop, bloop. Yeah. And an hour has gone. And I go, fuck. I've yeah. been on my phone. What did I do? And I feel like a terrible parent. Oh, I feel like that. And then he has books yeah. everywhere. Go, oh, you don't know how to read. That's right. Damn it. You've just been... Oh, All <laughs> any of this is. This is a, these are... Look at the colors. Look at the colors. colors do. The colors do. <laughs> the colors. Uh, and then... Um, yes. The main question. Uh, mm. Toilet paper over or under? Oh, this is actually great. So... Oh, here we go. I have a real story for this. Oh, perfect. Always over because I... Uh, had to do a program in college called okay. LA Term um, for my major. So I had to live with a host family in downtown LA. Wasn't allowed. I had a car at the time. I was not allowed to use my car. You could only take public transportation. Um, I had to have an internship, and then I took classes like in a high rise in mm-hmm. downtown LA. And the woman that I lived with was this wonderful Indian woman named Prabha Gusaiti, and mm-hmm. she was my host mom. And she was adamant <laughs> that toilet paper always had to be top, like. Over, over. Like, and if I put it on the wrong way, it was life ending. Like, it was like we had to have a sit down conversation. Like, I'm living in her house. She is getting like a subsidized, like, monthly amount to like take care of basic needs for me. But like, it was a problem. And so, like, it has really affected me like the rest of my life. Like, I like will feel guilty if I like hurriedly put on a toilet paper roll and it's not over. I'm like very, it's trauma, you know, at this point. (laughs) What if Prabha, what if Prabha's watching? She's like, you know, old Saint Nick and she's washing and she knows uh and she's just 
shaking her head so beautifully disapprovingly. Yes. What the way Prava yeah. really can. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so yeah, over. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing this. No, thank That's you. That's it. Okay. Yay. That's great. You, you survived. Was it okay? This is never airing. Okay, I know. There's, yeah. We definitely talked about some stuff. There's so much stuff. This is, I was going to play this for the children, but. Oh, no. I guess. It's no, over. It's, no. it's, it's over now. Gonna, it's over well, now. Well, Spindley's mom. Uh, yeah. She talked She's about porn. Porn. <laughs> Scott talking about porn. Yeah. And so being a first soprano, he was like, you need to, you need to raise your speaking voice. <laughs> so he was like trying to get me to speak like this when I was having conversations with people. So I was talking in my head voice more. 